Alright, turn with me if you would over to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. We'll be looking this morning at verses, Lord willing, if we get through them all, Lord willing, verses 14 through 18. We left off last week on verse 14. And I wanted to pick back up with that again. Not last week, the week before last, last time we were here. But I'd like to pick up with that again. As for those who are tuning in by Facebook or sermon audio to bear with me. <clears throat> Been under the weather the last couple of days, so I might go into a coughing fit. But uh, just don't laugh too hard if I do. Galatians chapter 6. We'll start reading in verse 14, read down to 18. It says, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world was crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy in upon the Israel of God. For henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Father, Lord, we come to you now, and we just ask that you'll be with us as we meet today. We ask that you be with us in spirit, truth, and that by that spirit you would lead us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, we pray that you would just edify your body today. I pray, Lord, that you would help me to minister the, the Word of God, uh, to speak things that are true, to uh, keep me from error. Lord, I pray that you would enable my body to uh, be able to preach this morning, Lord, and I just ask that you just might uh, give ears to hear, give heart to understand. Lord, we recognize your sovereign power over all things and Lord that you are the great physician you can touch and minister healing you can give uh, ability uh, Lord we know that you can grant salvation uh, and life to anyone that you desire uh, that you have elected from the foundation of the world and so Lord we just look to you today as our sovereign ruler our sovereign leader we give our praise and our worship to you today Lord we pray that in these passages that set before us that we might find Christ and that he might be exalted uh, in this message and in these uh, uh, verses that we have before us Lord may we always be mindful of Christ being the center of all things and Lord I just pray once again that you just might be with us today and that you might help us uh, as we uh, come before you this morning with our prayer with our uh, uplifted hearts with our praise with our preaching, Lord, that these things uh, might be pleasing to you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Paul concludes this letter to the uh, Galatians. And uh, there's not been a lot of frivolity, frivol, frivol, <laughs> not been a lot of frivolous comments made by Paul in this letter. It started out getting right down to the point, and it's been right to the point ever since the very end. And as I read through this letter, and I see Paul's intent, I see not only his intent as why he wrote the letter, but his his uh, intent fervor of attacking the situation head on right at the very beginning, and not letting up to the very end here. I mean, he really doesn't even give his usual salutations and his usual uh, 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 endings uh, like he normally does with several verses of tell this person hello and tell this person hello and thank this person for this or that and all of this stuff. I mean, he is in the doctrinal correction all the way down to the very end Verse 18, he says, Brother, let the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, uh, with your spirit. Amen. I mean, so to the very last uh, verse, he is intent in setting the Corinthians 
straight on the doctrine of justification, on the doctrine of, uh, of, of how the Lord saves his people, and it's not by works of righteousness, which we do, not by the law, it's not by Christ and the law, it's only by Christ alone, and he has made this letter, uh, 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 he has made in this letter, uh, that point over and over and over again, and we don't see anything different as we end out this letter. Now, a lot of times, brethren, as preachers, whenever we begin to preach, we begin to think of things that we're going to preach on, and we seek the Lord and what He would have us to preach. And of course, in things like this, whenever we preach expositionally, verse by verse, through different uh, books of the Bible and everything, we kind of have before us what we're going to preach next. And sometimes the Lord will lead me to interject in that to do something different. And, uh, and sometimes whenever we're going through these passages, the Lord will direct us more on one thing than another thing that might be in those passages. So in these things, there's probably a lot of other things that could have been hit on. And uh, as time goes by and we come back to Galatians again, I'm sure that there'll be opportunity to preach on those things as the Lord sees fit. But a lot of times whenever preachers are preparing and, and looking over the passages of scriptures that the Lord's laying upon their heart to, to, to talk about and to preach about, um, a lot of times we start uh, picking out things that we want to preach about, little topics that we want to preach about. And we try to seek out, uh, you know, things that we're familiar with. And uh, whenever we preach expositionally, verse by verse, it's hard to uh, hard to do that. It's you have to deal with the context that's before you each and every time. So that's why I like to do the expositional preaching, is because it keeps us on track of going through the the Bible uh, and in a systematic way, going through the Bible uh, as the Bible says, verse by verse and. Uh, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little, learning the things that God has told us as we look at his uh, at His word. Um, however, uh, no matter what section of the Bible that we're in and no matter what passages we're preaching on, and even if we're not preaching expositionally, verse by verse, but preaching topically, we're still going to be dealing with verses no matter what topic we pick in those verses to talk about, the very center of everything that we preach should be Christ Jesus. And we see that in Paul's uh, 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 words here in verse 14. He said, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you remember last time we were together, we seen... In verse 11 says, You see how large a letter I have written unto you with my own hand. And as many as desire to make a fair show of the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. So Paul here has talked about the fact that there are certain preachers that had come among the Galatians and they were preaching the law. And the reason they were preaching the law is so that by those people's adherence or their attempt at adhering to the law, that they could show themselves as good shepherds who has got the flock to obey and to do what they've commanded. They've got something to point to. They can pat themselves on the back that they've been a good uh, instructor of the sheep and they've got them whipped in line and following the law. And they could boast in their obedience. These men themselves, they boast in their own obedience. They think that they are keeping the law. If you remember the Pharisees, whenever Jesus uh, walked among them, and uh, these Pharisees, they thought that they were keeping the law of Moses. They thought that they were doing everything and, and was being and making for themselves a righteousness before God by keeping the law. But what did Jesus tell those Pharisees? He said that you are a brood of vipers, that you are whitewashed sepulchers. What did he mean by that? Y'all know what a sepulcher is? Anybody know what a sepulcher is? 
sepulcher is a grave or a tomb. Okay, sepulcher is a place where they uh, lay dead bodies in. And he said that you are a whitewashed sepulcher, uh, meaning that that you've taken and you've whitewashed the outside. You've made it all clean, and you've maybe even put paint on it uh, and made it look all pretty. But it still doesn't change the fact that inside still is a bunch of dead man's bones. It's, it's death on the inside. And he said, you guys are cleaning yourselves up on the outside and making yourself look presentable to those with, uh, with the standard of yourselves, among yourselves, uh, to each other, and you're making yourselves look good in your own eyes among each other, and you've whitewashed your outside, but it has done nothing for the inside. The inside is still dead man's bones. You can't, you can't do anything. And, and you're a brood of vipers. You're still serpents. You're still children of the devil. You're not uh, children of God. Children of God have been born from above. They have a new man on the inside. They have the inside clean. But they realize that the outside is filthy and will be filthy until the day they die. And so they realize that there is a, 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 a futility in trying to keep the law there's a futility for righteousness. There's a futility to try to keep the law for righteousness. There's a futility in trying to clean yourself up on the outside because in the natural man, the, the pig will always return to the pigsty. The dog will always return to his vomit. Uh, he's always going to come back to what he truly is. He's always going to go back to his own nature. And so the flesh is always going to produce the things of the flesh. We can try to clean ourselves up on the outside all that we want, but that is never going to produce a righteousness before God. And Paul here is saying these men have come and they have tried to uh, uh, force you and to, and, to, and to urge you to continue to keep the law of Moses for a righteousness that you're never going to obtain. And he said these men do this so that they may glory in your flesh. The only reason someone would continue to pump you to do the law is so that you would adhere to that. And in adhering to that, then they can lay claim to the fact that they helped you on to righteousness. And that's what preachers all over the place do. They go from church to church in revivals, and they come in and they swoop in, and they think that they can clean up the church and get them back on the right track, that they can clean up their their immoralities, they can clean up their sins, they can clean up their walk and everything, and then whenever they leave, they can pat themselves on the back on how many decisions was made, how many rededications was made, how many things were that, and like I've said before in the past, in Oklahoma there used to be a state paper of the Southern Baptist, and in the back of that state paper they used to all always put, like they had classifieds, well they had a deal in there for revivals. And they would boast about how many people they got saved, how many people they baptized, how many people rededicated their life to Jesus, how many committed themselves to mission work or, or something to that effect. And uh, the, then the evangelists, all those revivalists, they would put their ads in the back of that, you know, and they would always put in those revival reports after all those million and they said evangelist so and so and if they had a music group or something there they put the music group there who led that revival so that you might know and advertise that if you want to get your church cleaned up like ours you can call this guy listen Paul says that's glorying in the flesh we're glorying in the flesh now that's looking at from, from, from one person looking outward to other people look at ourselves let's look at ourselves we can glory in the flesh whenever we think that we can perform a righteousness before God. Oh, look, Lord, I come to church. Oh, Lord, look, I read my Bible. Oh, Lord, look, I, I did this or did that. Or, hey, I didn't do this or I didn't do that. You know, whatever the case might be, whether it's, whether it's uh, things that we do or things that we keep ourselves from doing, whenever we think that that is making a, 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 a righteousness before God, wherein he has accepted us into the beloved or keeps us in the beloved because of that, then we have erred in our understanding and we are now glorying in our flesh. And Paul here, and this isn't the only place that Paul has said this, Paul says, and look at verse 14 again, these are very strong words that Paul 
uh, is saying here. He said, but God forbid that I should glory, save, or accept in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, brethren, whenever we preach and whenever we teach and whenever we encourage, whenever we rebuke, instruct, correct, all those things that has to do with the life within the church and our preaching to each other, teaching each other, whenever we, uh, whenever, as we've seen in, in, in the verses before, whenever those who are overcoming a fault and we come alongside of them and we rebuke them and reprove them, we come with the Word of God. And at the center of that always is the finished work of Jesus Christ. Whenever we see that someone is at sin, they may fall into despair and they may think that they have uh, gone too far and the Lord will not be pleased with them. What do we remind them? There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Christ is your substitute. He paid the penalty for all of your sins. You no more are held accountable because of those sins. Those sins have been washed away. They've been covered by His blood as far as the east is from the west. He's removed them. What happens whenever someone comes is overcoming the fault and they begin to think uh, incorrectly about the Word of God and, and begin to see some doctrine that is not found in God's Word? What do we do? We come and by the Word of God we correct and rebuke them and we remind them, hey, this isn't about you. It isn't about what you think. It's about what God's Word says and what has been revealed about His Son. It's about Jesus Christ. Whenever you think that you're making a righteousness for yourself and doing good in that righteous work, what do we do? We come and we remind each other. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. It is God who has saved us. It is Christ who has performed all things for us, is doing all things in us. It is the work of God alone. And so we remind each other that the works of the flesh will never be pleasing to God. They can never be pleasing to God. It's not anything that He's going to accept for justification, sanctification, glorification, nothing. It's never going to be anything. And so Paul says here, <clears throat> God forbid, may God never allow it to be so that I would glory in anything except for in the cross of Jesus Christ. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to just say at the outset, especially for those that are watching that do not come to this church, whether it's our church or not, I'm not necessarily saying you have to come to our church or anything like that. You need to go where the Lord leads you. You need to go where there's a scriptural church, but if your preacher doesn't center on Christ in all things and salvation isn't centered upon Christ and the preaching is not centered upon Christ and it's always about you do this, you do this, you do this, you have to do this, let God do this. You have to let God do that. Let God be the Lord of your life. Let God have control. You know, yield yourself to Him, and then He will do this. It isn't about that. God doesn't wait for us to do anything before He accomplishes His purposes. Okay, God, if God wants to change your heart, He's going to change your heart. He's not going to ask you nicely, will you please let me be the Lord of your life? No, He's going to change your heart, and He's going to be the Lord of your life. He's going to do that. So if your preacher's not preaching those things, you might want to start looking for another place to go that is more scripturally sound. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look with me if you would. Verse, starting verse 20. I'm going to start verse 18. Paul writing to the Corinthians, he says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to us which are saved, it is the power of God which are saved. To us which are saved, the preaching of the cross is the power of God. Okay? It isn't the power of God to make you saved. You're already saved. To those who are saved, it's the power of God. See, we're already saved and the preaching of the cross to them who have already been saved becomes the power of God to what? 
to convert us, to convert us from our wrong thinking, to grant us repentance. It's the power of God to give us right understanding of Christ and who He is. It's also the power of God to increase our faith in Him. He gives out that measure of faith, and how does He do that? He does that by the Word of God. It says, for the preaching of the cross, and let me stop for just a minute in case anybody might get confused or doesn't know what we're talking about here. When we're talking about the preaching of the cross, we're not talking about two wooden beams stuck together, okay? When Paul says, I don't, you know, I, you know, I, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of Jesus Christ, or whatever he says here, uh, the preaching of the cross, and as we're going to see here in verse 23, whenever he says that uh, we preach Christ crucified, whenever we're talking about the cross, we're not talking about the actual cross, right? I hope you understand that. We're not talking about two wooden beams. We're talking about the activity that is happening in the crucifixion. We're talking about what Christ has done as your substitute in His perfect obedience to the Father on our behalf in keeping the law, in His perfect atonement of being that spotless Lamb who even though He had not sinned, He became sin for us and then he was under the full and total wrath of God on our behalf. That's what we mean whenever we say we preach the cross, we're preaching all the details of the cross. Not just that Christ died and that he was buried and that he was resurrected. That's part of it, but that's the very bare minimum of it. Listen, even unbelievers for for, for the most part believe that Jesus died on the cross and was buried and resurrected. Even even unbelievers who don't profess Jesus Christ <coughs> sometimes will believe those things as historical facts. But brethren, whenever we talk about the cross, we're talking about everything that it means. Who was being represented in the cross? It was all that the Father had given the Son. That's who Christ was dying for. Christ was dying for His elect. So whenever Paul says, I glory in nothing except for the cross of Jesus Christ, he's saying, I'm glorying in nothing except for the finished work of what Christ did on behalf of His people for all eternity as He has stood as their substitute, as their Redeemer, as their uh, surety, and that as He came in time and He lived the perfect life for them, that therefore... They, everyone that is in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world, the keeping of the law has been laid to their account because Jesus did it for them. He didn't didn't come to say, I've come to give you an example that you might walk like I walk and then I will accept you. Now Jesus did say that he had laid an example for us. But he laid an example for us to learn to be in submission to the Father, to him. To be in submission to Him. As Jesus submitted Himself, we are to submit ourselves unto God. We're to look unto Him. We're to trust in Him. We're to, we're to follow and do what He has called us to do, right? He never is calling us to be perfect so that we might be accepted. Because the Bible is replete in saying that there is no way that we can ever accomplish that. So whenever we are preaching the cross, whenever Paul is saying he's preaching the cross, again, he's not saying death, burial, and resurrection only. He's talking about the whole gamut, how Christ has substitute for a specific group of people, and that specific group of people that Christ substituted for, that death, or that life, that death was efficacious, meaning it respected (laughs) that. It actually was laid to that account. It isn't something that's supposal, okay? He didn't just make uh, salvation uh, something possible, but he actually did it. He actually saved his people when he did that. And what we hear a lot of in preaching today in modern Christianity, quote-unquote Christianity, is that God has made a way through Christ that you might be saved. Christ has died, and he waits for you to accept him or to receive him or to believe on Him, or to trust Him. Some churches just require you to make some sort of a lit profession, come down the aisle, sign some little form, go through the water baptistry, 
And then they say, okay, you're saved. Write it down in front of your book and don't ever forget that, that that's the day that you were saved. Brethren, that is not how that works. Jesus has saved everyone for whom he died. And whenever he died on the cross, everyone for whom he died, that was laid to their account. Based upon that, not upon what you do. It's outside of you. All salvation is outside of you. You are just a recipient of it. You're the free gift of it. Or the free recipient of it. Okay? Didn't do nothing for it. It's just free. You didn't ask for it. You didn't work your way to it. Christ chose you before the foundation of the world. God chose you before the foundation of the world and gave you to Christ. Christ died for you, and that is yours. Now, Paul goes on to say, he says, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Now, what's Paul talking about? The preaching of the cross is foolishness. Uh, but to us, it is the power of God. To those who have been given life, to those who have been given spiritual understanding, we realize that what Christ did in the cross is the power of God unto salvation. That's the power of God. That's what saves. What saves is what Christ did, not what we know, not what we receive, not what we believe, and not what we act out. Salvation is what Christ did. What we do after that, once we have been given life, is all because of being saved. It's all the outflow of being saved. And then Paul here is saying that whenever we preach this gospel, whenever we preach this message, the message of the cross, it's foolishness to the wise people out there because they don't understand that. And the reason why is because ingrained in the mind of the natural man is the thought that they can produce righteousness, that they can obey laws, that they can keep God's laws, and that they can make a righteousness that God... When it's all said and done, he's going to weigh my good and my bad, and he's going to be gracious and loving, because he's a loving God. He's a gracious God, and he's going to know my heart that I meant good, even though I did a lot of bad stuff, he's going to know that I meant well. You know, I hear people say that all the time, well, God knows my heart. Whenever you talk to them about something that they, that they are doing contrary to Scripture, they say, well, God knows my heart. Yeah, God does know knows your heart. Know what he says about your heart? Your heart is deceitfully wicked above all things, and who can know it? Know what he says about your heart? He says it's only evil continually. That's what God says about your heart. That's what he says about your heart. Yeah, God knows your heart all right. And unless God removes that heart of flesh or stone and puts in a heart of flesh, puts in his spirit, you're going to continue to think you can keep your own righteousness. You're going to keep your own righteousness. And whenever someone like me or somebody <laughs> else that preaches these things, these these truths, preaches, you mean to tell me that we're just to trust that Jesus has done it all for us? That, that, that all of his obedience is, is all that is required. What Jesus did in obeying and what Jesus did in dying, that's it. All we got to do is just trust that and I don't have to do anything on my own. And that's all. Whenever we preach that, that's foolishness to people. What do they think? Well, that can't be. Surely you got to be holy. The Bible says, be ye holy for I am holy. Keep these commandments. Do these things. There's all these prescriptions in God's Word for us to do these things. Now, brethren, I'm not going to presume upon what God does in and through us because He has promised that He would do His good pleasure in us. He would work in us to do His good pleasure. The Bible says that He is in us and that He is working these things out and that we will walk in all the works that God has ordained for us to do. What those works are and how they come forth and what they look like all I know is that they are spiritual work and not a work of the flesh. And so I trust that God's doing that because He said He's going to do that. I trust that those things will be evident 
because God has said that they will be things that we will do. But I'm never going to try to point to anything that I'm doing and say, there it is. I've got it because there it is. Because anything that I do comes from the flesh. So I have to trust that God is doing the work and that it is being performed and that it is being finished the way that God has said He would do it. Now, whether or not I can understand it, point to it, look to it, I can't. But I know it's happening because He said He said it would happen. To other people, that sounds like foolishness. But to us, it's the power of God. The power of God not only to legally save us, but to experientially keep us trusting Christ Jesus to experientially grow us in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, experientially preserve us until the day of Christ, to keep us in the faith. How does he do that? He does it by his Spirit. Is he doing that? Yes. Does it always look like he's doing that? No. There's sometimes I sin. There's sometimes I don't want to preach. There's sometimes I don't want to come to church. Listen, as nice as you people are, there's sometimes I don't want to be around you. Just to be honest. And I'm sure you have the same thoughts about me and the church and the preaching. But we, we come, why? Because we're drawn by God. We're kept by God to come. Just like this morning, I didn't feel good. I almost thought about not preaching today and having anything today because it didn't feel good. But know what? I desire to do it. We weren't here last week. I missed having church last week. Something inside of us, the Spirit of God that is, compels us, pushes us, does those things in us. He works in us to will and to do. And I just trust that He's doing that. And yes, does it sound foolish? Yes, to those who don't know Christ, to those who don't have spiritual understanding, to those who don't have a trust only in Christ and thinks that the flesh is something that we have to exercise. Yeah, that is foolishness. But to those who have been given to understand, we know. We know the struggle just like Paul did. With my mind, I serve the law of God, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. I want to do good, but every time I want to do good, sin's right there with me. What a wretched man I am. I'm no good. I'm worthless. I'm not a very good servant. At the end of the day, when I've done all that I've done, all I can say is I'm an unprofitable servant. That's what the Bible says. And that's how we feel. That's how we, we walk through life feeling that way. But brethren, know that in you dwells no good thing in the flesh, but what's inside of us by the spiritual life that's been given to us is perfect and holy and righteous. And God will keep us. Let's go on. Verse 20 says, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. See, people thought that they could figure out God by by, by smart learning. Even today, there are men who go, to, who go to seminaries and they think that by going to seminaries and going to higher education and being taught by other men that they can come to know God better. They think that they can go to a seminary and that some professor, theologian, or somebody like that can teach them how to, how to know God better, how to know God more, how to know the Bible more, or teach them how to be a preacher. But brethren, those things are spiritual works of God alone. Only the Spirit can do those things. The Spirit is our teacher. Listen, I know men that have never stepped foot in a seminary that has more spiritual depth and understanding of God's Word and, and can preach like you've never heard preaching, exalting Christ Jesus, pulling from all of the Bible everywhere, scriptures in types and foreshadows and exalting Christ in all those things, and never was taught by man. Listen, is there any good in seminaries? I don't know. I don't know. Some men that have gone have said that they learned the, uh, the Greek and the Hebrew there. Even that's subjective. But brethren, listen, I know one thing. You can't have a better teacher than the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says 
God give us his spirit so that he might teach us. And so I have more trust and faith in the spirit of God than I do in the arm of the flesh. He says, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now this is the people that believe. Okay, To save them that believe. Not them that, that not to save them that are unbelievers. Did you notice that? Look back there at that verse. He says, by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Not them that unbelieve. That do not believe. Now, that's just kind of opposite of what we're being told in modern day Christianity again. <clears throat> we're told we're going to go out there and preach so that we might save the unbeliever. But here it says the foolishness of preaching is to save them that do believe. Those who have already been given belief. How are they already given belief? How can they believe? How can they believe? Remember the passage? Who hath believed our report? And to whom have the arm of the Lord been extended? How can they believe if they have not heard? Well, the only way that they can hear is whenever the arm of the Lord has been extended to them. Whenever the power of God, and we've seen that the power of God is Christ and the work of Christ, the power of God, the preaching of what Christ did, the power of God in salvation is the work of Christ on the cross. And whenever we preach that to them who have been given spiritual understanding and hearing, they have been given faith they believe those things. They are already are believers. <clears throat> they are already faith uh, uh, recipients. Whenever they hear that, it saves them from wrong knowledge of unrighteous preaching. Whenever they preach about things being done by the law, by your own self, by your own will, by your own decision, whenever they hear the preaching of the cross... It keeps them from listening and going astray to these other gospels. The preaching of the cross is the power to them that believe, to those who have already been saved. Verse 22, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. See, this is Paul again. He's saying we preach Christ crucified. We don't preach Moses and you keep in the law. We don't keep preach uh, you being born into a Christian household. We preach Christ and Him crucified. He says, unto the Jews, it's a stumbling block. It's a stumbling block to the Jews because they think that righteousness comes by Moses, by the law. To the Greeks, they think that salvation comes by higher learning and by wisdom. And so whenever you preach Christ and Him crucified, a man hanging on a tree, dying, is how I'm going to be saved? That doesn't make any sense. That's that's foolishness. It don't, it don't line up. How does that save me? To the Jew, it's that's not my Messiah. My Messiah was supposed to come and tell us how good of an Israelite group that we are because we've been keeping his laws. And now he's going to eradicate all of our enemies, prop us up on a pedestal, and we're going to rule with him forever and ever. That's their thought of it. Both parties had it all wrong. But what did Paul write? He said, we preach to them Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. Look at chapter 2 and verse 2. I'll start in verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. I'm sure Paul was very eloquent in his speech, as we can tell in his writing. But I am thankful that it doesn't, that it doesn't, uh, that it doesn't, uh, uh, require eloquent speech. I, I'd be out on my on my ear if it required someone that was an eloquent speaker. I'm a horrible speaker. I mean, I just mash up the English language horribly. 
my thoughts are erratic. My speech, I forget what I'm talking about sometimes, right in the middle of a sentence, you know. If it depended upon how well of a speaker or a preacher I was, then all was hopeless for anyone that I'm to minister to. But Paul says here, he came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom. See, it wasn't there that I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to coerce you or I'm going to try to uh, convince you by debate and by, you know, uh, great words, you know. Whenever I was a younger preacher, especially when I come to the doctrines of grace, I like to use these big, long theological words to try to make it look like I knew more than I really actually did. And so I throw out all these words to people that, especially that I knew didn't know them words, so that it would make me feel smarter, and then not quite as smart, and that they might learn something if they listen to me. That's bad, ain't it? That's bad. That's glorying in myself. That's glorying in my flesh. That's trying to get you to follow after me so that I might glory in your flesh. That's exactly what we're talking about. He said, I didn't come with excellency of speech or of wisdom declaring unto you the testimony of God. Here it is, verse 2. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. (coughs) Paul knew the importance of preaching the gospel wasn't about, even though all these other things are important, the center point of all preaching always comes down to what is the finished work of Jesus Christ. Look with me, if you would, at Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7. Now you remember this is the uh, chapter, this is the portion of the Philippian letter where Paul was talking about how all the good things that he had done. Matter of fact, we can just back up a little bit. In verse 4 he says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I am more. He said, if you want to compare, if we want to get down to the brass tacks of comparing ourselves in the flesh, if you want to go by the standard of the flesh. Now, Paul isn't here saying that it's, that we should look to the flesh. He's using this in sarcasm to show how stupid we are, for one, in, 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 in judging between our flesh because the flesh produces nothing. But he's also trying to show how his mentality, how his thinking changed, how he was converted, how he was saved. Remember, we just read it, how the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those, but to them, uh, the preaching of the cross uh, saves them. How does it save them? It saves them from wrong thinking. Well, the preaching of the cross saved Paul from wrong thinking because he thought he was something when he wasn't. Look here, it says, Though I might have also confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I am more circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin and a Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law I was a Pharisee concerning zeal persecuting the church touching the righteousness which is in the law blameless so Paul said here if you want to get down and you want to start checking off the little ticks on who's keeping the law better than anybody else Brother, you ain't going to find another better man than me. But he says, But what things were counted gain to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Now we've talked about this just even here recently that Paul, whenever he come to see Christ Jesus and the righteousness that was given him in Christ, he seen all the righteousness that I've been trying to amass for myself by trying to keep the law, which I now see I can't do, has been foolish. Has been dumb. It's, it's a bunch of pile of poop. See, I've been comparing myself with other Israelites. 
I've been comparing myself with other fallen people, other sinful people, other people that don't have the ability to keep God's law. I've been judging the standard by them when the standard has never been them. The standard has been God and His holiness. Christ's righteousness is the standard. And whenever I compare myself to Christ's standard, I always fall short. And so he said, at that point, everything that I have done to try to obtain righteousness by doing good deeds and works and law-keeping and all the things, he said, it's all worthless. It's all dumb. Compared to what he has in Christ Jesus. He said, and be found in him. <clears throat> he said, my mind completely changed. I'm no longer seeking a righteousness of my own. But all I desire is just to be found in Him. If I can just be found in Him, I don't have any worries about God and, and, and what He's going to judge me in righteousness. Because if I'm in Him, then I'm righteous as He is righteous. Because all those who are in Christ Jesus have been given that righteousness. And so He says, And be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. See, that's what Paul said is the most important, is, is, is that we not try to uh, uh, accrue a righteousness of our own, but that we, by faith, look to Christ, and that we uh, desire uh, that alone. That I might know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering, being made conformable unto his death. Now remember that, being uh, in fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death. Uh, because we're going to see that here in our in our verses here in just a minute. So let's turn back to Galatians chapter 6. So we see the preaching of the cross is of utmost importance to us. That is the foundation of, uh, of the gospel. It is the gospel. The preaching of what Christ has done and accomplished is the gospel. And to preach something that you do is not part of the gospel. It's not even an inkling part of the gospel. It's not like, well, this is the gospel, but this is the subsection of the gospel. It's not even that. It has nothing to do with the gospel. Your response has nothing to do with what the gospel actually is. The gospel is is completely and totally uh, uh, outside of you, it is what Christ has done. But let's go back to Galatians chapter 6 and let's look. <coughs> he says, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Now Paul here is saying that because of what Christ has done for him and then the, the life that he has given us uh, and everything, that um, that now our desires are no longer to be accepted of this world. I'm crucified. Uh, the world's crucified unto me and I unto the world. I don't desire to, to, to follow after the world in the way the world is trying to obtain righteousness. And uh, the world no longer has any hold on me, on anything that I do. He says, For in Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Now, Paul's already basically kind of said this. Look back if you would at chapter 5 and verse 6. Paul said, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. And so Paul here is reiterating that same truth here again. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision. So whether you're a law keeper or you're not a law keeper has nothing to do with your salvation. Okay? Salvation doesn't come by anything that you have done, whether it be good or bad. Remember in Romans chapter 9, uh, let me go there so I don't uh, misquote it. In Romans chapter 9, uh, in verse uh, 11, the Scripture says, For the children, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, 
not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. So here we see that this choice of God had nothing to do with good or bad. And I've had people say, you know, and even pointed out the fact that I teach and, and believe that God saves people and it doesn't matter whether or not they've done good or bad. So God doesn't even take account their sin and everything. Um, well, according to the scriptures, he doesn't. That whenever he sends people to hell, uh, he does send them to hell because of their sin against him. He does send them to hell because they uh, of their unbelief. <coughs> but brother, that isn't the reason why he chooses one and not the other. They are going to hell justly because of their sin. But that doesn't have any effect on why God chose one and not the other. God specifically says here, it didn't have anything to do with whether or not they had done good or bad. But it was according to God's choice, according to God's election, that God chose one and not the other. Okay? So, <clears throat> back in verse uh, 15. For it doesn't matter whether they have been circumcised or uncircumcised. It hasn't. It doesn't mean anything if you're a law keeper or a non-law keeper in the regards of circumcision or the law of Moses because everybody is a law breaker when it comes to the law of Moses. So this doesn't have anything to do with how one's saved. But it's just but a new creature. <clears throat> what is it that availeth? Well, what availeth is the fact that we have been made a new creature. A new creature. Look at... Look at uh, 2 Corinthians again. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse 17. We'll be just about done. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. It says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Okay? So, we are a new creature. It's not God has taken that old man and reworked that old man or made that old man better. It's a completely new creature. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. It's not... It, God didn't whenever we were born of the Spirit, God didn't take something that was messed up and make it fixed. He didn't take something that was old and make it newer. He actually created something new in and of us that was not there until He put it there. Okay? It's a new creation. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. Ephesians 4, and verse 24. Is that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness? So that new man, that, that new creature, that new uh, that new spirit that has been put in us is created, it says here, is created in righteousness and true holiness. Not a holiness that we keep on the outside, but a holiness that is true holiness. It is holy because God is holy. It's His life. That holiness that Christ has springs from His life. He is holy as Christ because He is holy as God. He is holy because that is His nature. Holiness is His nature. And the new man, the inner man, that man born from above, the new creation, this man here that we're talking about is created in righteousness and true holiness. So I ask, what's getting better for those who think that we're getting more and more holy? Well, what's getting more and more holy? The outside is the flesh that can never be good, that can never do anything pleasing to God. 
And the inner man, the new man, the new creature, the Bible says here, is created in righteousness and true holiness. And if we look back in uh, 1 John, the Bible says cannot sin. So what's getting more holy? What's getting more righteous? It's not the outward man because it's perishing. The Bible says it's perishing every day. But the inner man is renewed every day. It's the same. It continues. It perseveres. It's the same day after day after day after day. And it grows in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So brother, that's progressive sanctification I don't find anywhere in the Scriptures. And I don't find that there is an outward righteousness that we procure by doing the law. These things are things that come from the inward man by the Spirit of God who works in us. These are things that are worked out of us and they are spiritual works, not works in the flesh. Look back, if you would, in Galatians chapter 6. It says, For Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision but a new creature. And here it is. And this is, this is, this is probably one of the best ways to end this whole thing. Because if you remember, where did this all start, brethren? Where did this letter start? Paul was writing to the Galatian churches, which was a Gentile church. Okay, they weren't Jews. They were Gentiles. But yet they had been, uh, they had been deceived by some Jews that had come down from Jerusalem and said, you gotta keep the law of Moses. To be saved and to stay, be, stay saved. Okay? And so they were saying, you need to be like us Jews and keep the law. Then you'll be a true Israelite. The Israelites keep the law, right? But here Paul says, and as many as walk according to this rule. What rule is he talking about? Well, the rule of trusting Christ alone for our righteousness. Of glorying only in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not having our own righteousness, but having a righteousness that comes from Christ alone. By not mattering whether it's circumcision or uncircumcision, but just the fact that we are made a new creature in Christ Jesus, and that new creature is holy, it is righteous. That's foolishness to people because they say, well, I see you, you do sins. I sure do. My flesh sins every day. But that man on the inner man, it doesn't. And that's the, that's the man that God is concerned with. That's the man here that availeth. Not the outer man, but the inner man. As many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them. See, whenever we walk knowing that it's Christ alone and that it isn't by our efforts of law keeping, that brings a great peace to the child of grace because we realize all my good efforts are failing. All my righteousness is not working. I'm not ever going to attain that level of holiness that God requires. And so to hear, guess what? Put it all down and rest. Put it all down and rest. It's God who works in you to will and to do His good pleasure. Just trust what He's doing. Trust His salvation. Trust His work in you. And that every sin that you've committed, every sin that you will commit, Christ has died for. And every work that He's ordained for you to work out, you're going to work out. Because He's doing it. It's never going to, you're not going to miss one. You don't have to worry about it. And so that's why he's saying here, there's going to be peace for those who walk according to this rule. If you're walking to, according to the rule of Moses, you're going to keep, try to keep all these laws, you're not going to have peace, brethren. But it says, peace uh, on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. The true Israel of God, not Jews. The true Israel God are all those spiritual children of Christ. All those ones who have been given the Spirit of God are the true Israel of God. He says, From henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Now what does he mean by that? 
And he bears in his body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus said, hey, if they've persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. They hated me, they're going to hate you too. They said bad things about me, they're going to say bad things about you. Whenever you're faithful to preach and to share everything that I've commanded you to share, then they're going to hate you. They're not going to like you. They're going to separate from you. They're going to distance themselves from you. They're going to talk bad about you. They're going to not include you. There's going to be a lot of stuff that's going to come down your way that is going to be uh, hard because of this gospel. And brethren, it truly has. He says, Let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord. He's saying, listen, those men, and he said it, remember back whenever he said it earlier, he said, if those guys are telling you the truth like I told you the truth of what Jesus said, how come they're not receiving any persecution? They're not receiving any persecution. But whenever I come and tell you the truth, I'm receiving persecution for it. That shows you that what I'm saying is the truth. What they're saying is not the truth because they're not being persecuted for that. And here he says this. He says, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord. The very fact that I'm receiving all this persecution and ridicule and hatred from these religious men ought to show you the very fact that this gospel is true. I, like the Lord, am receiving the marks on my body, not true physical marks, even though he did get physically uh, hurt and put in jail and all that kind of stuff. But he's saying, listen, I'm showing the fact of, of this. And listen, brother, in this life, we are going to have much persecution, much tribulation. In my life, for being a preacher, uh, I've received persecution in my job, my previous job. I received persecution because of that. I receive it. Uh, uh, there's things that uh, have distanced me and my family because of what I believe. So there's separation. There's, you know, the Bible says that <clears throat> that this gospel is going to put mother against uh, daughter, father against son. It's going to pit uh, families against each other because of this gospel, and it has, it has, it truly has. Not that I don't love my mom and dad, and love my aunts and uncles and cousins and everybody like that. I love them dearly, but there's just a fundamental difference in what we believe the gospel to be. And how it's to be uh, to be preached, and, and about righteousness, and how righteousness is is obtained, and, and about how uh, it isn't about what we do, but it is about what Christ has done. And it's not about us giving God the option to be Lord of our life, but that He is, that He actually is doing all this stuff. <clears throat> but more than anything, it's about God's sovereignty and choosing who He wants and who He doesn't. That's the big kicker. You know? He says, Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So, brethren, whenever we preach this message, whenever we preach Christ and Him crucified, whenever we preach Christ only for righteousness, we're going to bear in our body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to be persecuted. But, brethren, I, I pray that the grace and of the Lord Jesus Christ be with us as we continue to preach this. And I pray that he keeps me faithful and you faithful. This church, I pray that He keeps us faithful uh, and not give in uh, to this world. That we might be truly crucified to the world and not let it dictate what we preach and what we don't preach. You see so many churches today, they, they just preach whatever people want to hear. And they do that so that they can keep their numbers up, keep the money rolling in, keep the fame and fortune and all that stuff going and everything. But here we are, just a little group of people here standing against thousands upon thousands. And, you know, I pray that the only way that we can, you know, I know that the only way that we can stay faithful is if the Lord grant that, that we stay faithful to Him. And that 20, 30, 50 years down the road, if there still be a church here in Joplin, Whenever I'm dead and gone, whenever you know I'm 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 in, in the grave, that there'll be someone else standing in this pulpit, uh, preaching and declaring uh, the free and sovereign grace of Jesus Christ. And so, um, well, that concludes our walk through Galatians. And uh, does anybody have any questions, comments? 
like I said, I'm sure that there was a lot of things I could have hit on through this thing, and maybe one t- one time again we'll go through this later on down the line as the Lord sees fit. But we'll conclude with that. I'll be honest with you, I don't know exactly where we're going to go next. We'll see what the Lord leads me on that this week, but uh, we will uh, end with that. I'll have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you once again for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for the word of God that is the testimony of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for all that it says about him. We thank you for the Old Testament, that through all the many types and foreshadows, we see our overcoming Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer. We see our uh, kinsman Redeemer. We see our... Uh, We see our land without spot, without blemish. We see the scapegoat. We see, uh, we see all the things, Lord, that exemplify who our Christ is. And through the New Testament, we see proclaimed vividly the very work of Christ on our behalf. And we're so grateful, Lord, that you've given us this preserved word to be able to read and to preach. And Father, to find comfort in. And Lord, we thank you for the church the time to come together to be edified Lord to be uh, built uh, up uh, in the most holy faith as we fellowship with each other I pray Lord today that you have fed your sheep that you have uh, kept me from error Lord and if anything that I have said has been a blasphemy to your word and to your son Lord I pray that you would uh, correct me in my understanding that you would make me have right knowledge of those things But Father, Lord, I pray that you would continue to teach your people. And Lord, that this church would be a a light in this town uh, of the truth. We pray that you bring others, Lord, uh, to meet with us that may be your people here in this town. uh, Who may even be in other churches, Lord, that you're calling out. We ask, Lord, that you just might help them and and lead them to, to be able to worship with us. Again, we thank you for all that you've done and all that you will do as the time progresses, Lord, in your purpose. And we look forward to your return. We pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus, to remove us from this world of sin, this body of death, from the evil that is around, Lord, and that your righteousness uh, might be seen and that judgment might come upon evil and, Lord, that we might uh, enter in to our everlasting reward. So, Father, we thank you for Christ, what he has done. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.